You are listening to the Winnebus.net Podcast Network. Help, Joe, I can't swim. It's, well, it's raining so much. No, no, it's not that you can't swim. You're just covered in cats. Uh, oh. Yeah, that's actually a cat expectorant. Well, I can breathe cats, so it's okay. Oh, okay. Well, you got a little uh, heavy cat lung going on. <laughs> yeah, that's... <laughs> No, that's fine. That's fine. Furballs are great. I, I mean, I eat them for dinner all the time. Gross. Who? <laughs> <laughs> so what are you having for dinner? I'll take cat balls special. When's the last time you've had a peeping bowl of cat furball? Mm, every day when I'm breathing in my house. Well, son, that's too long. <laughs> uh, but, you know, there is one thing that makes it all go away. Booze? One, yeah. How'd you know? Well, because it's the answer to everything. Digital noise. I am Chris. I'm Joe. And together we're Crow. Yeah, yeah. We got to work on our, our power couple name. I like that. <laughs> Crow. <laughs> Except don't they usually have like some sort of vowel? You have to have a vowel at the end, right? Okay, Cronifer. Cronifer. <laughs> uh, uh, Driss. I don't mm-hmm. know. Something like that. Oh, yeah. It's kind of drippy. Dristopher. <laughs> uh, anyway, we've got a lot of stuff to cover this week. Oh, boy. How do we? Some amazing stuff. Some not so amazing stuff. Mm-hmm. And then a little bit of in between, just yeah, peppered out. Indeed. But first, let me just thank you all for listening to Digital Noise, the uh, premium Blu-ray and DVD review show on the internet. Oh, we're top shelf. We're better than Patron. <laughs> what? Well, you know, Patron is... You know, Patron just manufactures bottles. They don't even make tequila. Okay. We're better than Crystal Skull Vodka. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All vodkas taste the same. Okay, we're better than uh, Cabo Wabo. <laughs> <laughs> Cabo Wabo is actually pretty good. It's not bad. I wouldn't think it would be because it's like, what's his name? Sammy Hagar. Sammy Hagar yeah. is tequila, but it's not bad. Uh, anyway, yes, we are better than Cabo Wabo for whatever that's worth. Uh, we The number one way you can keep this show on the air and help us out is by clicking on those Amazon links we have on the actual page. There's a whole bunch of images of all the movies and TV shows we are reviewing this week. If you click on one of those images, it'll take you to the Amazon page where you can buy said item, and we get a nice little kickback from that. But that's not all. If you're going to buy anything on Amazon, as long as you start from one of our links... We get a kickback from whatever you end up buying. Wow, sounds like yeah. it sounds like some sneaky backdoor thing, and maybe it is, but so, it still works. Like if I was going to buy an album by The Damned, yeah. If I bought it through Amazon, would yeah. that help out? Yeah, damn, uh-huh. damn, 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 oh, damn, or, damn, damn, or, or the Black Album, yeah, or the thing with Eloise on it, you know, whatever. <laughs> what was the thing with Eloise on it? I forget. It was the Black Album, wasn't it? Was it? I don't know. I don't remember. I'm just a poser. I know. (laughs) Uh, Also, of course, we love our subscribers. Please become a subscriber. There's four levels. That, more than anything else, helps keep this site going. Please become a subscriber or maybe even just get a t-shirt. There's a place you can just get a t-shirt. Get some shirts, man. Our shirt is pretty cool and it advertises to everyone that you're just... You know, a pretty cool part. I mean, you guys won't even let me have one. That's how exclusive it is. <laughs> well, we will. <laughs> Actually, I am going to be bo- ordering in bulk sh- shortly, so I'll probably have a few to hand out to you guys. Okay, extra small for me because I like to show my rip physique. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I just got, like, threw over my mouth a little bit. Yeah, what do you have in a belly shirt? <laughs> oh, God. Uh, anyway, with no, with, with no further ado, uh, let's do the reviews. These are reviews. Reviews for use. And we're going to start off, you know what, I'm just going to start off with my pick of the week. Okay. And I, it's probably your pick of the week. I don't know. Uh, and that is one of the best, I think one of the best superhero movies ever to come out, period. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and that mm-hmm, is mm-hmm. Deadpool. Oh, I thought we were going to do Fantastic Four. No, but Deadpool's good too. <laughs> Deadpool was pretty goddamn great. It was It was fantastic is what it was. I still don't know if Randy has actually bowed under to see it yet. Randy from uh, Rogue Scalaries mm-hmm, Comics mm-hmm. and Games around Rock, Texas, who's done a lot of our podcasts in the past. Uh, he hates Deadpool as a character so much that he was just, nope, not going to see it, not going to see it. And, like, everyone in the world is like, it's well, so good. Does, does, does he sell Deadpool comics? Yeah. Oh, fucking hypocrite. No, not necessarily. <laughs> he sells My Little Pony comics, too. Yeah, but he loves those. I don't think he does. Okay, well, I love him. But I, I, I like Deadpool, the comic book character, but I love this movie. Well, because it basically is Ryan Reynolds, <laughs> the, the uh, comic character. It's Ryan Reynolds has spent so long developing whatever comic book hero he was ever eventually going to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> like he is one, he's like one of these days I'm going to hit on the right one. <laughs> you know, it's like you're trying blade. Nope. Didn't work. Nope. 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 Try it in green lantern. Nope. Ooh. Totally didn't work. Try it in Deadpool. Hey, hey, there we go. Perfect match. And and he's willing to admit, like, yeah, that Green Lantern thing, nope, not for me. <laughs> yeah, well, there's jokes in this movie, like, directly pointed at both Deadpool and the previous appearance of, or, or not at Deadpool, the previous appearance of Deadpool from X-Men Origins Wolverine that mm-hmm. they totally fucked up. Yep. I mean, how do you make, his tagline is the Merc with a mouth, and they made it so he had no mouth. Ma- <laughs> mouthless. What the fuck was that? <laughs> um... Uh, as well as Green Lantern and all that stuff. I mean, that's the thing is like this is definitely fourth wall breaking, and that's kind of always been his thing. Even the comic books, yep, he's aware yep. that this is all like he's in something. I've always wondered if they're ever going to explain it. Oh, I just figured that, <laughs> that, that Deadpool is like uh, actually a real ultimate being, like. Uatu ain't got, or he could be Uatu just having fun. I, I I imagine something like maybe he has a mutant ability, like a secondary mutation that where he's able to like slip between parallel dimensions, mm-hmm, and that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. he's just seeing things from our dimension's point of view. Okay, okay, so both are equally valid, just one's interpreted a different way. But that seems pretty silly to get totally serious about this super silly movie, <laughs> that the number one accusation, the only thing I ever heard a negative about this film is like, well, there's nothing really original about the plot. It's like, while that being true, that's kind of exactly the point. Yeah. This whole thing is kind of a send-up of all other superhero tropes. Mm-hmm. So it wouldn't really work... If he wasn't doing a kind of traditional superhero <laughs> plot. Well, I was always just kind of taken aback, even when I hadn't watched it, about, like, oh, it's a comic book movie, and it's not for kids, and it should be for kids. Like, no, not everything has to be for everybody, guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. just because <laughs> I don't know where you've been for the last 30 years, but there's a lot of superhero and comic book stuff that is decidedly not for kids. Yeah. <laughs> Keep watching the fucking scene in Watchmen. And, and that's course, for kids. Yeah. And, of course, there's still always parents who bring their kids to the, the mm-hmm. movie because because they don't bother to do any research. I don't know. It's a comic book. Whatever. Yeah. Uh, anyway, yeah, this is a totally solid release. Even the uh, uh, opening menu thing like, mm-hmm. starts with, like, you know, it's, he's cooking a chimichanga in the, yep. in the <laughs> microwave. Like, there's all sorts of neat stuff like that. Apparently, the 4K edition, which is also available, mm-hmm. has a completely different opening sequence there. Well, I should the hope menu. so. But, uh... 
the one we saw was just the Blu-ray, and it came with a surprisingly valid watch amount of deleted and extended scenes, mm-hmm. some of which add a lot to the plot and story, like huge extra sequences. Uh, a lot of stuff where the extended scenes just are, you know, even funnier, mm-hmm. you know, like where there's just, they go on longer, but there's that many more funny lines in it. Uh, I Very rarely do I say the deleted extended scene sequence is worth your time. In this particular case... Wow, totally worth your time. Yeah. On the other hand, the gag reel is kind of not as funny as the actual movie. Hey, you know, you got to throw out your B material to see what sticks. Uh, but, man, they get an hour and 20 minute um, behind the scenes and, like, you know, the whole history from the beginning in the comics all the way mm-hmm. to how it got to the screen uh, featurette, which is kind of... Actually, it reminded me a lot of when Blade was released on DVD all those years ago. Yeah. Because, you know, it was, a, it was a pioneering comic book movie where the, the DVD release was just just jam-packed full of great stuff. Like, yeah. part of it was a, a an hour-long documentary on the history of vampires and, and popular uh, lore. Uh, and, and this this thing too, not the the, the popular lore of Deadpool, because no. it's, <laughs> it's a little more singular. <laughs> Every culture has its own Deadpool. That's mouth. right. <laughs> I mean, we we had Deadpool with Dirty Harry, and it just wasn't as cool. Uh, yeah, there's audio commentaries. Um, there's a a bunch of gallery pieces of concept art, costume storyboards, pre visualizations. Uh, and then there's the thing they call Deadpool's Fun Sack, which is basically just all the video marketing they did for it, mm-hmm. which was a lot. Yeah. Because they really needed this thing to place. Yeah. At least, you know, like where they were like, I mean, because there was no brand for Deadpool. No. You know, so they were like, okay, we have no idea how this is going to do. We're spending like, I think it was a total of like $50 million on this thing, which isn't shit. Yeah. But it's still money you just don't throw away. So they were like okay, I guess put out there, put shit on everything. And for a while there, it was like, really, it was just, there was so many things you were seeing pop up everywhere of little Deadpool gags. I, I loved the Deadpool uh, romantic movie treatment that they did for posters and stuff. Yeah. To get guys, to, girls to fall for going to see Deadpool. It did work. I had a female friend of mine said, I think Deadpool is the most romantic movie ever made. Aww. <laughs> it's because of the baby hand. And it kind, kind of is. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's like, oh, I'm going to go touch myself with my baby hand. Decidedly not for kids. But yeah, Deadpool, solid stuff. Mm, let's do it. My pick of the week. Right? Yeah, okay, I'll do it too. So let's go from there all the way to the bottom of the pack. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And talk about Dirty Grandpa. Grandpa. Well, I, I think everything that needs to be said about this piece of shit <laughs> is uh, when you pop in the, the Blu-ray, the the song the for the menu that mm-hmm. pops up is like a default garage band song. Oh, really? Yeah. That's pretty lazy. So. Um, at this point, you're like, has that gone public domain? <laughs> pretty much. Uh, this is just as bad as you would imagine a team-up film between Robert De Niro and Zac Efron would be. Mm-hmm. They're both pretty solid performers in their own right, but why in the world would you put them together in a comedy where Zac Efron plays the straight man and Robert De Niro plays the gross, old, sex-obsessed guy? Yeah. Yeah, Grandpa Grosso. Yeah, basically, uh, uh, Zach plays Jason Kelly, who is complete, you know, a law track, totally serious. Uh, His dad, Dermot Maroney, has, like, kind of been the same way and is guiding him down this be serious, get go right to work path. Grandpa, on the other hand, who he's never really spent much time with, is well known for being trouble. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, he talks his grandson into basically giving him a ride uh, and uh, the ride turns into a trip to a party beach 
where things just keep degrading from there into <laughs> watching Aubrey Plaza like basically do like like describe herself. Uh, how do I say? It's like Aubrey Plaza playing the dumbest, sluttiest girl in an '80s teen college comedy. Yeah, except except the uh, the recipient uh, recipient recipient of of the attraction is totally on board. We're in the '80s; yeah. he would be scared off. Uh, I just I just don't want to see Aubrey Plaza play a role like that. I mean, she can be strong sexually, but here she's like she's just this cartoon character of like I don't care; I'll give it up to anybody. Oh, I remember when she mentioned it on Harmontown before Dirty Grandpa came out. Yeah, and it, just from the description, it's like oh barf. Yeah, and sure enough, it was a oh, barf. I mean, I think the only thing that made me laugh at all on this was a uh, Jason Mantzoukas as Pam. Oh yeah, Zooks. Yeah, who like you've seen in a billion different things. He's What's up, up, jerks? Uh, he pops up in everything. I knew him from the league. Mm-hmm. You know, being the grossest friend they have. Uh, and here's a guy runs a surf shop that's a front for like a, being a drug dealer. Mm-hmm. And he actually is given some pretty funny moments in this thing. But everybody else and everything else that happens in this movie is just so like I can't believe this was made now. It's so... God, I hate saying the term politically incorrect because that implies things I don't even mm. want to imply. I mean, like, like when people say stuff that makes your jaw hit the ground because you're like, wow, that's like 10 steps past what anybody is allowed to think is funny anymore because it's not. It's just offensive. Well, it was, it was culturally unaware, and I don't mean like, oh, you got to respect everything. I just mean like, you, you know, you can't... You can't act like that anymore. <laughs> it's it's not considered funny. It's just just considered stupid. Yeah, like that, that's it. That's this entire movie. Yeah, there's there's really nothing to recommend here at all. I mean, I know some of you are going to watch this thing just on a dare. We have some listeners who will listen to our worst stuff over our best stuff because they want to see how bad it how is. How bad it really uh-huh. is. They're like. If you say so, I mean, this isn't one of those ones I go, oh, it's bad because it's just boring. It's bad because it's bad. Yeah. I mean, uh, what's good about it, we do have to say what's good, is Zac Efron is is fucking bouncing quarters off of his everything still. Well, yeah. He's a good looking guy. <laughs> yeah, he is. <laughs> uh, uh, if you really want to, there's a couple extras on here but that are mainly EPKs and, and stuff. Uh, and then, of course, you get six minutes about Pam, so that's that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. But overall, Dirty Grandpa, that's our stinker of the week. <laughs> uh, now, I i don't remember if you were on one of our reviews for Anomalisa Mm-mm. before. Nope. We, this is actually the third time we've talked about this fucking movie on the site. We reviewed it at a festival, and then we reviewed it for theatrically, mm-hmm. and now we're reviewing it at home release, which is ironic considering... I didn't really care for this. Oh, movie. I fucking hated it. Oh, did you? T- okay, see <laughs> the well, the list keeps growing of people going like, "What the fuck is going well, on?" So I was watching it with my roommate, and he's seen some of the stuff that that we have to watch for digital noise. Yeah. Uh, and halfway through, he goes, "This is worse than the babysitter." <laughs> <laughs> you know what? He's right. <laughs> yeah, I just, I mean. I do. You got to hand it to um, the animators who made some a really unique look. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's beautiful looking. No question. You've never seen animation of this style before, so it's eye catching. But it's not enough to make you sit through this really simple and depressing plot and diluted and really yeah. I mean, this is. A, I mean, all right. So Dan Harmon was one of the producers on this thing, and it felt like. 
what climbing inside Dan Harmon's head <laughs> of like listening to him say stuff. You're like, what the fuck are you talking about? I love you, man, but you don't even understand. Well, how people so are. like, like the core concept being that everybody is just a drone except for him until he finds this anomaly named Lisa. Oh my god, anomaly, which was there. which was so awful. But it, I don't know if it meant to be uh, not self aware in that so everybody's a fucking cog right like they're a part of this 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 greater boring entity they are yet, kind of coggy yet when when he's because he's he uh he talks about uh, customer service that's his his big thing is that he goes around <laughs> giving inspirational speeches <laughs> but even in that he he at one point in his speech says yeah i know you don't like people whatever but everybody has had their own day be it a good day or a bad day and they they've they've got their own life mm-hmm. it's like but you're not acknowledging that in your actual life, asshole. <laughs> I mean, maybe that was supposed to be the point in that, that this guy was just so unself-aware. But it, but it didn't play it like that. It, it didn't play it like that. And honestly, there's just... This is a Charlie Kaufman flick, and generally Kaufman goes to a level of weird that even if I don't agree with the point he's making, I'm enjoying the art craft, the mm-hmm. craft of it, of what he's doing, the yeah. art of it. Here, it's kind of a one-trick pony. Yeah. You know, no, it's is. just of the animation and the story itself. There's just nothing really to it of this guy having this midlife crisis. Yep. Uh, I just, I, I've watched, watched this twice and I was like, okay, I'm, I really, really, because the first time I saw it, everyone's raving and I'm like, why do I, I feel like I should really like this movie. <laughs> but I don't. This. And then I saw it in the theater and I was so relieved at all the other Critics of me were also like, "Oh yeah, I fucking hated that too." Yeah, it, uh, it scored really high on Rotten Tomatoes, and I'm just thinking, yeah, "Why?" The critics loved it, and yeah. we are the critics that did not love it. <laughs> I, I I don't know what to tell you, but it is out on Blu-ray. If you're one of the people, which you, you know, you should find out for yourself because I do know a few people who really love this. Film. Yeah, if you like it, that's cool. I uh, just hate it. Yeah, I, I didn't like it either. But there's like 30 minutes on the productional history stuff. There's like nine and a half minutes on the sex scene, which is one of the most awkward sex scenes of all time yeah <laughs> and then about six minutes on the sound design i don't know man anomalisa was uh i it's not for me Mm-mm. uh now you didn't get to see this next one and i'm glad i didn't i was actually thinking this might be pretty good the film's called touched with fire with katie holmes and luke kirby as okay. uh severely bipolar people who meet in inside of an institution. Oh, and they have a meet cute? Uh, meet crazy. Okay. Um, where they both kind of start feeding off each other's, like, delusions. So it sounds like that should be fun. It, You know, here's the thing. It, the trailers sold this as, like, the middle point of the film of, like, two people designated by society of being crazy, but are they really crazy? And they find with each other, they find real joy and beauty. Like, that is not what is happening in this film. <laughs> it's <laughs> like, y'all crazy. You're like, they're like, I mean, I feel bad for both of them throughout this, this film, uh, but at the same time, the film spends three quarters of it promoting this idea of that sounds like the trailer, except as you're watching the movie, you're like, no, these people are severely disturbed. <laughs> they need to be kept away from each other. They're making horrible, horrible decisions okay. at every uh-huh. turn. And, uh, and you know, it, it ends with kind of a like, well, okay, maybe it wasn't such a great idea. But, <laughs> but it's so wishy-washy about everything it wants to do. Um, I, I would say, okay, I'm not bipolar, as far as I know. As far as you know. Uh, and 
I know people who are, mm-hmm. and perhaps they would get something from this movie that I did not. Okay. But okay. I was going online looking at reviews, and there were several from bipolar people who were all the most mad at this movie. <laughs> they were like, I call bullshit. Two things, fuck and you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, kind of. Like, they were more mad than anybody at this movie. I was just bored by it. Oh, like, excellent. It, you know, there's you think at the very least you can get two peop- bipolar people falling in love, having a sense of exuberance. And falling into each other's delusions, there'd be like cool animation sequences. Sure, or yeah, I'm, I'm thinking like, like neat visual yeah. stuff. No, not really. There's like one scene where they're going down a hallway, and the walls are just they projected on it Van Gogh's Starry Night, and that's about it. <laughs> oh, <okay>. well, <laughs> which is kind of like the theme painting for the the film. Mm-hmm. You know, Van Gogh himself very bipolar, indeed, a little bit. Uh, and you know, the one guy's this theory. It's like, oh, to be a great artist, you have to be bipolar. You no. never really can understand. <laughs> We're not even really from this planet, bipolar people. Oh, oh boy, we feel things more deeply than everybody else, and that's the way it's supposed to be. And I'm like, I offer no opinion on any of those statements other than that sounds unlikely. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, like I, you know, it, the movie spends three quarters of its time as a pan against bipolar people taking their medication. Ooh, that ain't great. No. <laughs> it certainly is not. So, yeah, touched with fires, touched with bullshit. I don't know. I did not care for it. I did really care for this week's Criterion release, which is the classic uh, Nicholas Ray film, In a Lonely Place. This is considered to be probably top ten film noir films. Yes, it should. But it's definitely not one in the sense that maybe you necessarily think of film noir if all you've watched is more hard-boiled stuff like Double Indemnity mm-hmm. or, or uh, uh, The Big Sleep. It's not like that, even though it does have Humphrey Bogart in the lead. Well, it does. Yeah, he who is wonderful, who plays the most, like, you think it, it is going to be like that, because the guy's name is Dixon Steele, <laughs> which is like, man, I want I want my first kid to be named Dixon Steele now. Well, it, and he's going into porn, because noir is over. Yeah, well, just Dick Steele, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Humphrey Bogart plays him. He's a Hollywood screenwriter, or used to be big, but now he hasn't had a hit for a while. Uh, and he obviously right from the beginning, you're like, okay, he's got kind of a temper and everyone, all everyone around him is a little bit scared by him. Like they don't think he's going to kill anybody or anything. Hey, but like, he doesn't have a temper. He, he was just a man <laughs> for the time. <laughs> right. uh, and a bit of an alcoholic <laughs> to be sure. Uh, once again, tomato, tomato. Uh, but his agent is trying played by Art Smith is trying to get him to adapt this very popular book for a movie. He really doesn't have any interest at that in that at all, but he kind of by def- at this point, has to, you know, act like he's serious mm-hmm. about it. And basically, he, this hat check girl who's there, uh, played by Martha Stewart. Is that, that's not the same Martha Stewart. Could be. It's a good thing. I, I don't I don't think it is the same Martha. It's no, not it's the not. same Martha Stewart. Yeah, she Come would, on. She'd be dead by now. Um, she is, like, reading the book at the time, and he's like, uh, uh, or it said, yeah, I've, I'm, I've read that. It's really great. Uh, and he's like, well, tell you what, I'll pay you to come back to my house and just dictate the basic plot to me so I can like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and everyone, and she's like, oh, this is oh, that line man. again. But he literally, that's all he wants her for. It's <laughs> like, no, I'm serious. I just don't want to have to read this fucking thing. I just want you to take the, you give patient. me, <laughs> nice. If you give me the cliff notes, uh, then we'll be good. And, uh, you know, they do that, although not really. And, uh, she leaves. Problem is that turns out 
She died on the way home. She had to catch murder. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, the cops are all like, come on, man. You were the last one to be with her. You, you everyone saw you leave the, the bar with her. Uh, your neighbor, your, your beautiful native neighbor played by Gloria Graham. Uh, saw you guys together, heard yelling in the, in the house. Mm-hmm, I mean, mm-hmm, it don't look mm-hmm. good. And ultimately, you know, we know he didn't do it, right, as viewers. But it's there's so many people casting an eye at him and changing their behavior subtly around him that his own behavior starts to change yeah. because of it. And it's kind of like... I don't know. There's some really deep stuff going on here well, in like no, the second I, and third act. Well, yeah, because it, it's actually kind of how real life plays out. If people think you you have been nefarious, they they will change, and then you do too. Or at least you're perceived that way. I mean, and it's really this relationship between him and Gloria Graham that was like, if he had just met her before this, <laughs> it would have been like the love of his life type thing. Yeah, but it's this whole thing destroys him and is destroying their relationship, and it's just it's. You know, it, like I said, it's a very weird kind of noir and that, yeah, there's a murder, but ultimately it's not really about the murder. No, <laughs> it's about Dixon Steele. It's about, it's about, yeah, it's about what happens when everybody think you did, did something and you didn't and you hate yourself to begin with, even if you know you didn't do that thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I thought this was amazing. It's, it's, uh, just. You know, I do a lot of like, oh, this is like Sunday watching or something like that. Nope, it's it's a good anytime. Yeah. Like, just genuinely is a great movie. It's one of the Humphrey Bogarts I've never gotten around to. There's still quite a few of the ones that are considered to be his best. I mean, he did a lot of <laughs> I was going to say, he, he was a busy fellow. So. Yeah, he did a lot. But of the ones that are considered to be like top Bogart films, this mm-hmm. is one of the ones I had not actually gotten around to. And now very glad that I did. Criterion did a mad fix up on this thing. And yeah, it was aces. Apparently the only previous existing edition before this looked like shit. Because mm-hmm. this was not, it was funny, it was one of those at the time I don't think it was considered to be that big. It's only in retrospect we've looked back and go, no, this is really one of Bogie's Bogie's best. So so it took a little bit of cleaning up. I believe so. Uh and there is a with what with it being Criterion, there's a archival documentary film that takes a look specifically at Nicholas Ray and his body of work. Uh there is a brand new video interview with uh vincent curcio the author of suicide blonde the life of gloria graham who talks about her and her career in hollywood and yada yada uh there's a archival featurette with uh with director curtis hansen uh who basically deconstructs the entire movie uh and then there is a adaptation of the novel called uh, of of that this was based on uh, on for radio called um, Suspense. <laughs> um, and then there's a brand new audio commentary and there's a leaflet and ultimately this is great stuff. Like it should be, it's essential classic movie watching that most people don't even have on their list. So mm-hmm. you should add it to your list. Yeah, do it fellas. Come on. Do it. Do it. Uh, next up is something that is not essential movie watching. Uh, but there is one moment in here that made me go, what the fuck? <laughs> Almost made the whole movie worth watching. And that's Hired to Kill. Um, Hired to Kill is, all right, have you ever seen that old 80s show Cover Up? The one where John Eric Hexum, where he plays like a guy who, uh, he's, he's, a, he's a CIA guy who is uh, basically posing as a model. <laughs> for for this this woman whose husband was CIA and and he got killed so then the CIA asked hey we want you to work with this 
guy, like, because she was a fashion photographer, and mm-hmm. he'll go, well, we'll send you out to places, and, like, you do your thing, and then you'll... You like, do modely spy yeah, stuff. Yeah, modely spy stuff. Um, and then that actor, actually, John Erkexham, died from a stupid accident, like a very Eric Draven, like, uh, uh Randon Lee, almost mm-hmm. exactly the same thing. Nobody. Um, and, uh, they tried to bring somebody else on, and it didn't work. Surprisingly, that show was a huge hit. All right, so this movie <laughs> is basically that plot, except the Dirty Dozen version of that. <laughs> if that makes any sense at all. It kind of does. kind of does. Uh, did you get to see this one? No, I didn't. Okay, well, you didn't miss much. The one remarkable thing here... Wait, is that the dude from, from uh, Cobra? Uh, I don't know. You know, I've still never seen Cobra. At least I don't think so. I might have watched it at some point. I don't remember. Oh, you're, you're not missing much, except for a giant knife. <laughs> um... Yeah, this guy, Brian Thompson, who's the lead in this movie, you will only recognize if you watch a lot of genre television. Like, Mm -hmm. if you watch The X-Files, he was the alien assassin who had that sort of, like, little dagger pen that uh, would who could change forms into other people. Oh, awesome. He he was in it for, like, four or five seasons off and on. When he appeared, you're like, oh, it's on now. (laughs) Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah. And he's, like, in a lot of stuff. He's something about the guy. He's got this huge square jaw. I think he is the dude from Cobra. Well, they tried to push him as like action hero at one point very early mm-hmm. in his career like this movie hired to kill where uh they put him in the cover-up scenario we're like oh okay well you go out and you're the photographer and we're gonna send you out with a team of like models who are all like inmates at prisons and stuff who were like <laughs> who were total badasses but committed uh, horrible crimes but they're gonna be your team with the benefit that they get released from prison right do of this. course yeah um and uh then you go out and you're we're gonna bring you to this third world thing and i don't know something something uh the the entertaining thing about this is a i mean of course the acting is as bad as you might imagine for this fucking thing uh but oliver reed like late in his career when he's just a total drunk (laughs) plays the the you know the evil general here who they're sort of whining and dining and romancing before he finds out oh they're just fucking with him uh and he's Basically trying to get the main guy to sleep with his girlfriend, okay. who he does, in fact, do eventually on his own. Hey, cuckolding. Or at least not even to sleep with her, but to, like, admit she's hot or something. I don't know why he's testing his heterosexuality. And then basically he goes, he decides, no, that would blow my cover. So uh, he's like, <laughs> he, he's like, no, See, he, he fucking lays a deep fucking tongue kiss on Oliver Reed. So was, was 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 did you get the feeling that uh, okay yeah. that uh, this was they were hoping it was going to be like a franchise? I don't know what they were hoping. Okay, I I do know that I was hoping it would end, uh, <laughs> but I really did genuinely enjoy some of the bonus features on here. This director Nico Masterakis, who we've talked about before on the show as Arrow Films re-releases, he uh, he was this amazing guy who had this incredible life and did all this cool stuff until he started making movies Mm -hmm. and they were not so good. Yeah. (laughs) But, um, some of those stories in here, especially with Oliver Reed, where they're like, man, he was fucking wasted. Like constantly, (laughs) like like the guy, like there's a big ending scene. They had to escort him off set with security and bring in an extra to take his place from like a high, a high Mm -hmm. shot because he thought it would be cool to just whip his dick out. And like I said, no, it seems you said grab my weapon. Yeah. And like it was like they were like, What the fuck? No, put your dick away. He's like, No, this is the way the scene should play out and finally I just all right, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> Sleep it off, drunk. <laughs> There's some really funny stories in there uh, for that. Um 
Uh, and then a long interview with Brian Thompson, who apparently mainly only got this role because he was the son-in-law at the time of uh, Nico yeah. uh, Masterakis. So, I don't know, man. It's entertaining for what it is. Yeah, it's also... Uh, you got Ed Harris? No, no, no. It's uh, George... Or George Kennedy. Yeah, I mean. George Kennedy has a small role as, like, his handler in here. Who, of course, the, the, he's he and Oliver Reed are all over the cover as if they're in yeah, this. Yeah, as they should be. <laughs> but Hired to Kill does definitely have that sort of... Hey guys, it's bad action movie night quality where you're like, okay, it's not boring. I'll give you that. Uh, next up is the Killer Dames collection. Now, this is another Arrow collection mm-hmm. of stuff. So, very nicely fixed up, lots of extras. I only got the chance to watch one of these, which was The Red Queen Kills Seven Times, Ooh. Uh, which was, uh, I thought, actually pretty fucking good. Uh, these are both from uh, the same director, Emilio P. Mirag- Miraglia, and uh, they're both. Like, you know, C-plus level giallo, Italian giallo films. But honestly, kind of enjoyed the one that I saw. And it was really fucking... Both of these have, like, supernatural elements to it, which was, like, not always super common with giallo before, Mm. in the days before Argento, you know? Um, Like, The Red Queen Kills Seven Time, 1972, uh, with two sisters who it looks like there's this family painting that somehow has laid a curse on the whole family where one sister always ends up murdering the other. And then the one who gets killed comes back from the dead and kills six people. And then the the other sister and it cycles every hundred years. And you're like, okay, so we pretty much know the plot of this film. Hey, let's, uh, let's get rid of that painting. How about that? Now, of course, what this comes down to is like, is it really supernatural? Is that what's happening? Or is there something else going on? Okay. Yeah. Which is a very giallo type thing to happen. But Honestly, very stylish, kind of beautiful, uh, you know, a little dull at points. It definitely belabors the point. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I mean, you could have shortened this by 30 minutes. It'd be all right. I did not get to see The Night Evelyn Came Out of the Grave, which is largely a similar plot, uh, except it's this guy who is a really rich dude who uh, just got out of the institution after his wife died. Uh, uh, but he starts bringing home... Um, uh, strippers and prostitutes who look like his wife to torture and kill them. Okay, uh, because he can't get over his wife or the fact he's actually still mad at his wife. I, I get, I get his uh, train of logic. I understand where he's coming from. Of course, from. it's happened to me like, yeah. four, four times. But uh, anyway, he ends up going to a psychic to contact his dead wife, uh, and something happens where other people start dying, and then he thinks that maybe that Evelyn is back from the dead and is mm-hmm. killing people, yada, yada, yada. I didn't get to see this one, but either way, kind of sounds like kind of a fun collection if you like the Giallo thing. Yeah, just, just a little stuff. silliness. Yeah, Killer Dames collection, not bad. Uh, the last Arrow Films thing we have tonight is Bloodbath, which sounds like it's going to be... A bath of blood? Yeah, like mm-hmm. a lot gorier than it actually is. There is a little bit of blood. Was was it just like a bloody nose? Well, here's the thing. This collection, and it is a collection, is four films. Okay. Um, it's not Bloodbath 1, 2, 3, and 4. No, it is, in fact, a very odd story of, like, the, the this whole thing, it's... Uh, this whole thing is a, a very niche lesson in something weird that happens occasionally with movies, with every single possible version of this said film included Mm -hmm. basically roger corman found this movie called operation titian uh and went okay i really love a lot of this stuff it's beautiful looking some of the cinematography is gorgeous it's really creepy it's kind of uh um uh i don't know like like the old german expressionist film type Mm -hmm. look to it but 
the plot is really dull. America will never have this. So um, he basically got it, had it remixed, re-edited, and came out with a film, uh, uh, another film, which I'm blanking on the title of right now, uh, oh, tr- um, Portrait and Terror. And he still didn't like it. Still went, nope, uh, you know, that, that one's not so good either. <laughs> Tell you what, let's film a shit ton of new stuff and make it into a straight horror movie. Because before it was kind of a spy film, kind of. Mm-hmm. Let's make it into a flat-out horror movie where they add this character who's like an artist who uh, is apparently a vampire, but it's like right. a genetic okay. condition. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so he's killing women and then dip, dip, like painting their portraits, and he sells that everyone loves his work. He's like, oh, it's so gruesome, but they're amazing. So he's very famous on this island. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but then he's like t- taking these women, and he's like dipping them in wax and leaving, just leaving them around his house for no <laughs> real reason. Um uh, but he's actually in love with this one girl too. It's very, you know, when you look at it, it's you know obviously taking from Bram Stoker's Dracula to some mm. extent. How they got from there to that, like which is a uh, the one that's called Bloodbath. I have no fucking clue. <laughs> um, but they ended up doing one more cut of it later because they were like, oh, we need to edit this whole thing again for television. And then filmed a bunch more stuff and switched shit around so it's a very different movie again called Track of the Vampire. All four versions are on this two-disc set. Which literally are just for people who want to understand the nitty-gritty of how this stuff happens. Uh-huh. But all that being said, Bloodbath, the one that's like the first horror version... That was a pretty good movie. Okay. I was actually kind of surprised. I was like, wow, it's like, there you can see the stuff clearly that's more like the original footage stuff. You're like, wow, yeah, that is gorgeous. It's mm-hmm. so shadowy and just noirish and just beautiful shots. And then the new horror stuff has this sort of like, <clears throat> I mean, balances that well with a certain degree of camp, but like in the sort of best Corman way and yeah. sort of like his Edgar Allan Poe period sort of way. You're like, oh, that's what, what you really want out of creepy. a Corman. Yeah. It's like, that's really creepy and cool. So generally speaking, I mean, you're watching, she just watched Bloodbath and you go, wow, that was great. But if you really want to learn about what happens with like, <laughs> you know, the history of this and many other films, this sort of process happened to them, but rarely do we have all of it all the pieces here. I mean, of course there's like an hour and 20 minute breakdown of how this happened step <laughs> by step. So yeah, I mean, Sid Haig is in this, of course, because he was in everything back then. Because <laughs> no one knew. And there's a brief interview with him, of course. Uh, and then a, a interview with a uh, archival interview with the director, Jack Hill. So I don't know. Bloodbath is, it's what it is. Uh, next up is fever. Yeah. I, yeah I, it is. You know what this was missing? Uh, action. I was gonna uh, say the the song Fever. Oh, which I could, yeah they never they never did. I can't hear it enough times. Yeah, it never happened. Uh, this is from Art Exploitation Films, who are very hit and miss. When they hit, it's amazing, and then no one you know has ever heard of it, and you gotta yeah. beg them to watch it. You're like it's so good, or they're like. You're just like, I don't fucking get it. Yeah. Uh, and this falls in the ladder. Yeah, I, I was just like, uh, I know I should probably connect with this somehow, but I just not happening. Just, I, I feel like it's from the same school of thought as, say, Funny Games, mm, you okay. know, where it's like uh, really experimenting with that idea of what is murder, what is the point of it, Yeah, does it change you? I mean, it's two high school students who have, before the movie even started, have committed a murder. Yeah. Right? And they just did it for philosophical reasons. To, you know, as one does. As you do. Uh, and it's basically just about them eventually 
not being able to handle it despite their ethical philosophy that what possible difference could it make to start with, which I guess is good if you're trying to get all Sartre about your horror, but, you know, <laughs> I, I just... I'm watching this thing. I was like, can something please fucking happen in this yeah, movie? Absolutely. <laughs> um, I know a lot of critics really did like it. And I guess there, I mean, it's, I can't just blow it off and say, there's nothing going on here. It's just, maybe I went into it wrong. Maybe it was like, I was going into it expecting a horror movie. And what I got was this weird little well, French film. Well, like I, I went into going like, Hey, I love French films. Let's do this. And then, uh, uh, <laughs> Uh, hey, what, what's what's on my watch? Oh, the time. <laughs> oh, the time. I didn't see that one coming. Yeah. Oh, I better check it again. There we on go. On the face of it, I was clocking that everything would be fine. <laughs> Sorry, I double punned there. Uh, yeah, I don't want to even talk too much about Fever. I want it to be... I won't... I just, I love this company, Artsploitation. I think they put out a lot of really good stuff. I get where they were coming for from this one, but this was a little more on the art than the exploitation I wanted side. it to be compelling in some way. Yeah. And, and it, it wasn't. I think it's only if you're really <clears throat> reading this type of philosophy right now, and really, mm-hmm. if it's really fascinating to you thinking about the nitty-gritty of, like, you know, this sort of existential <laughs> thought. That, but if you've turned 17 and gone forward with your life, you're done with it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so less said about the fever, the better. I will say this was probably my follow-up for uh, Pick of the Week if we hadn't had Deadpool. I mm-hmm, mm-hmm. probably would have picked Southbound, which was one of my favorite things that played at Fantastic Fest last year, and holds the distinction of being, I think, the only horror anthology that uh, every single chapter in it is pretty fucking good. Hmm. Uh, I wouldn't say that exactly, but I did really like it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. Sometimes uh, it, it was just like, okay, and then it's going to loop back over and like, yep, okay, there we go. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, that's like, generally speaking, with anthologies, you've got to have the, nowadays, you've got to have this is the looping device. But I liked the looping device for this about a billion times better than I did the one, any of the VHS ones. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And, and it advertises this from some of the people who made VHS, which is just to say some of the same directors, which is like, <laughs> that really not doesn't count. But, I mean, you get like Radio Silence, who did like the, fir- the probably the best VHS segment ever, the one where the kids, in the first one, where the kids think they're going into a, a, a fake haunted house, but it's actually mm-hmm. haunted, and okay. they're like, whoa, that's cool, like blood coming out of the wall, and they just think it's all fake, That's yeah. real. Yeah, I was like, that was amazing, they should have made a full movie out of that. Uh, you got Roxanne Benjamin, who did Siren, David Bruckner, who did The Accident, Patrick Hobarth, who did Jailbreak, um, those are previous films they did. Uh, here, you're, it's... Like, it's all sort of, like, on the southern part of America and, like, all these different very hellish supernatural type things going on. And, honestly, I enjoyed all of them. I, I mean, like, the, the 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 bookmark or the uh, bookending one, The Way Out, with these sort of floating Grim Reaper things. I just yeah. the whole effect of those oh, things. Oh, they were cuties. So fucking weird. Uh, but the one of the things I was most impressed with, one of the stories in here has a thing where a guy is basically being assaulted by forces, whatever. He's, like, stuck in this hospital and... Mm-hmm. and and it basically makes his case for, this is ridiculous. Why are you doing this to me? And the forces go, 
Huh. Yeah, it's true. That's actually a good point. <laughs> okay, you can go. Here's, <laughs> was here, like, here's, a, here's a new car. <laughs> I was like, what? That's, you never see that. I was like, I just love the shit well, out of Well, what's that. funny, because I didn't like that one until that happened. Yeah. And then I was like, okay, now I'm on board. I, I just started laughing. I was like, that's kind of awesome. Yeah, I know it was. I, you don't see that coming from anywhere, but... Yeah, I actually really enjoyed Southbound. It's only available on DVD, unfortunately, right now. But uh, it is one of the best of the, at the very least, the recent new upsurge in Mm. these sort of horror anthology things. And it is not to be missed. I would be shocked if it was not going to show up on Netflix sometimes. (laughs) Oh, no, it should be there already. Yeah, I'm shocked that it's not. But uh, next up is Synchronicity. Synchronicity. Not a documentary about the police. Although I'd kind of like, like, like to see a documentary yeah. about the police. Um, it is a sci-fi film directed by Jacob Gentry, who, uh, what is the other thing he did? Uh, blah, 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 blah. Uh, the Signal, which was a pretty big film uh, for... I don't know anybody who saw it. It was uh, AJ Bowen, the actor who's in everything now. That was kind of one of his big breakout roles hmm. in there. Pretty decent little horror film that I believe is still on Netflix. But this is his sci-fi film, and where he goes, "Hey, I really like Gattaca and Blade Runner, <laughs> so I'm just gonna kind of mash up my favorite visual things from there, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then maybe a little bit of primer." Hey, don't don't forget a lot of latte art. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Um, and I hang out in Apple stores a lot. I don't know. It's, it's, this is not, I have, I like time travel movies a lot. This kind of, it, it, you can feel the weight of a lack of budget to this one. Yeah. Um, the idea here is this guy, uh, has a, uh, Invented a wormhole machine that he discovers is actually a time travel machine. Hey, uh, man, space time. Who knows? Yeah, but what? only with like a oh, that one place like five days ago. Yeah. And then the whole film basically loops itself like two times watching it as you discover this sort of like very like, oh, everything you thought was happening. There was actually a whole other level to it that had another reason because, mm-hmm. you know, and this movie takes the premise that like everything that, no, you know, you could go back in time 50 50 times, you can't change anything because you already went back in time. Right. You know, like anything that's happening to us right now is already. Yeah, they get eternal recursion and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, I got to say, as far as uh, tone, like like visually and sound wise, I did like what they did. Yeah. That's because I liked in the other movies that I'd seen. No, I mean, the main thing I thought was Blade Runner. I mean, it's got Blade Runner, like, like the whole, the city with the spotlights Mm -hmm. sweeping over it and just the very Vangelicist type music. Yes, yes. You know, that's really a very sort of contemplated, contemplative story about the nature of time and man and fate and destiny. Well, that that was the problem was, was the actual story itself. I did not give a shit about (laughs) Yeah, I guess part of the problem is, like, I thought some of the performances were pretty wooden here. Well, you got Ironside. Well, I mean, he was one of the ones. He's not in it that much. He's kind of the villain. There's not really. The villain is man's own inability to Yeah, Ironside's just trying to make money. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, it, I, I, it was just, there's some decent dialogue. It's just not delivered all that well. So none of the characters here really came across as real? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I yeah, guess. no, I, I see what you're there saying. There wasn't a heart to it at all. Yeah, they were more just like uh, 
kind of puppets. Just... And I, yeah, well, I mean, I guess maybe to some degree that was what he was trying to say. No. But I didn't like at all that there's this whole thing where the main guy has kind of fallen in love with this girl. And maybe he's more doing this jump time jumping thing because he wants to be with her even though mm-hmm. you never buy there's anything real between them at all yeah you know <laughs> like I, yeah i mean that's the core problem there's no heart here maybe that says anomalisa mm, it's um it's mediocre but there's good stuff about it where yeah. i would watch something else this director did but this is not one of the high points and which is weird because they gotten a lot of strong festival reviews it did but yeah ultimately i just bleh, not for me yeah but i don't hate it no i don't I, but we're talking about mediocre sci-fi film. Let's talk about one of the greatest ones ever, and that is Star Trek Wrath of Khan. My wife. <laughs> that was a weird line to pull out. Of everything <laughs> that you could have pulled from Star Trek Wrath of Khan, you're like, my wife. Uh-huh. And? Okay. All right. Hey. That's the moment. Look, we, 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 we experienced Ricardo Montalban's luscious chest in different ways. You know... There's actually a deleted sequence that's not on here. And I don't believe anyone's... They say they still have it, but I don't think it's ever popped up in anything before where we can see it. Where apparently there was a little subplot where he had an infant child. Khan had uh-huh. an infant child. And, like, there is a shot right before the Genesis device goes off with the babies, like, crawling towards the Genesis device. <laughs> <laughs> Which you can totally see why they took that out. Yeah. But we're talking about the brand new director's cut, or brand new on Blu-ray, mind you. Because this did, in fact, come out on DVD before. But but it is the first Blu-ray release of it that I was actually kind of impressed. One of the things they did here was they changed the cover to make it the old Mondo poster. That was a pretty fucking cool poster. Mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. know, I was like, oh, that's I, I love that poster. So a um, lot of uh, it's pretty much the same thing we've seen before in terms of bonus features, with the exception of one extra thing called the Genesis Effect, engineering the Wrath of Khan, that is uh, produced by the same people who did all those Next Generation Blu-ray bonus features, which were pretty damn good. And it's a fun little take on it, where it's interviewing everybody still alive who's involved with it, uh, including the director, who apparently, and I didn't realize this, only recently has Wikipedia been updated with this information, but the film was always credited to a different writer, who apparently had next to nothing to do with this script. Uh, The director pretty much wrote this entire film himself in like two weeks. Gotta do what <laughs> you gotta do. gone through like eight scripts and they all sucked. Uh-huh. And finally, like, he's like, well, we already have a release date, so you got like a week. <laughs> uh, and he's like, fine. And he just wrote it right then and there. It's like, there you go. Here's your Get film. out of the way. I'll take care of it. <laughs> um, and, you know, I mean, I, we don't have to sit and talk about, uh, is Wrath of Khan a good film? No, of course, it's a good film. It's fucking awesome. It's what, amazing. What's your problem? So, the, really, the only differences here are actually very small. It's it's little b- bits and bots of dialogue here and there. There's mm. an extra line or two there that are really designed to give the characters a little more fleshed out, you know, personality. Like, it adds the whole thing. And some of this may be like, I feel like I have seen this. You may have. They've aired the television version of this, included some of this stuff. Okay. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, like the whole thing where the guy who dies, the engineer in the engineer room is all burned. Yeah. Uh, so either that you're... was Scotty's nephew, and that's not in the theatrical version, but, but okay. they add it to this. <laughs> you're, you're, look, you're in it for the love of the con. You're, yeah, you're pretty much. You, if you're as big a fan of Rathacon as, as as I am, you're going <laughs> to own every version. It's my white album. Mm-hmm, you know, okay. I've got to have every single version that they yeah, put out yeah. of it. <laughs> um, and, you know, I actually sat and watched this whole thing. I was taking care of a friend of mine's cats at his house who's out of town, and he's got a huge pro- wall projection screen with, like, mm-hmm. it, you know, whatever, the best surround sound and all that. So I'm like, fuck yeah, I'm watching Rathacon. <laughs> <laughs> it looks great. It's There's a lot of argument whether this version or 
the previous Blu-ray version has the better visual quality. Okay. Um, like, they're literally arguments. Now, this is what the director himself thinks is the way he wanted it to look. The other one also looks great, but has a tiny bit of more blue tint. So mm. people are really into, like, meh, 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 meh. A little colder. Yeah, little I, colder. I don't know. It depends on what you prefer, I suppose. I think they both look fine. But uh, So unless you're really a purist like me, you probably don't need to have this, but it does have, like I said, the re- great new box art, that, that really great new documentary. And other than that, it's, you know, there's probably four minutes tops of difference. Maybe not even that much of actual stuff in this film. Just buy it if you want to, guys. It's not like there's an extra con Kirk fist fight or something <laughs> in here. <laughs> anyway, yeah, Star Trek Wrath of Khan, still pretty good. Next up is Triple Nine. Ooh, got a 999. Did you watch this one? Yep. Yeah, what'd you think? Uh, I think it's at yeah, I think that's kind of how I felt about it. I, uh, what what it really struck me as is like, oh shit, did they did they pretty much do all of the scene work here in in Atlanta? Because they're like, hey, Rita's has three days off from Walking Dead. Let's make a movie. Yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> it did feel that way. Hey, the advantage of two of the biggest stars of television at the same time play brothers. Yeah, him and uh, Rita's and Aaron Paul. Mm-hmm. You're like, oh, I see what you just did there with a horrible haircut. Yeah, pretty bad haircut. Um, all right, so this is a twisty crime film with basically a group of, like, terrible cops. <laughs> <laughs> They're dirty grandpas. Yeah, uh, Anthony Mackie and Clifton Collins Jr., who are teamed up with some uh, criminals, uh, Nicholas Reedus, Norman Reedus, his brother Aaron Paul, who's the one, we're not going to make it, man! He's that guy. <laughs> Came uh, over. And uh, Chiwetel Ejiofor. And um, it's a it's a bull crimes, and it turns out that they're doing it because they're kind of indebted to this Russian mob boss played by Kate Winslet. He's basically like, okay, I need you to do another job that is like impossible. I want to be unnecessarily shitty to you guys. Yes, yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> it's like rather than keep you loyal because I treated you well and you did a good job yep. and I reward you officially, I'm going to time to burn you. I'm going to burn you and force you to do a job no one could do. Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, there's only one way we can do this is to pull a triple nine, which means basically force, uh, like, make sure a cop gets killed. So everyone just rushes there, just take, dominates, and then they can actually, they'll have enough wiggle room, like, to, to have that extra minute or two they need to pull That's off. That's right, to, to do the undoables. And uh, said uh, cop is Casey Affleck, who is the nephew of Woody Harrelson, who's an old-school sergeant detective in the place. Oh, holy shit, I just realized that was Casey Affleck. Yeah? Because I was like, why do I hate this dude's face so much? Uh, he does have one of those faces. <laughs> I think he's a great actor who's oh, just got fine, one of those act yeah. faces. You're like, like oh. if you, if you look, this is a guy that if you knew him in high school, he'd be the guy who knows like, hey guys, what's going on? What are you doing? You're like, oh, fucking this guy. Hi, Casey. How are you? It's Benjamin's little brother. <laughs> what's going on? Uh, I don't know. I know he's not bad, but I just don't like him. <laughs> don't give him any weed, dude. He gets all weird. <laughs> uh, I mean, that's the thing. Is this is It's adequate. It's serviceable. There's some neat stuff going on mm-hmm. here, but there's also points you're like, now, why would that? Why yeah. did you do that? Um, I mean, it's a, it's a neat idea. Like, you know, they're going after him. And you're like, okay, so presumably he would definitely be the protagonist of this film, right? The one we really get to know and care about. But no, (laughs) the movie, it's like they made an ensemble film that was for a script that's not really set up to be an ensemble film. Yeah, it felt more like uh, the the Anthony Mackie story to me. Yeah, who is definitely not someone that you're sympathetic towards. Uh, I'm like, why are we spending more time on these criminals? In this case, I mean, it really felt like, 
And I like this director a lot, John Hillcote, who's done some really good stuff. But in this particular case, it was like, it felt like he got much better casting than he thought he was going to yeah. get. Yeah, he's like, oh, and shit. So he's like, well, we got to rewrite this script uh, to give everybody more time. When it was like, no, you really shouldn't have done that. This no. should have been much more focused on Woody Harrelson and Casey Affleck, despite yep. his face, his unfortunate face. Oh, and uh, so is this a thing? Is it like, oh, one of those tricks of the trade, if, you're, if you've got a close-up shot of somebody's face where they're doing something action-y, let them chew gum so that there's extra extra movement in the scene. Oh, maybe. Is that a thing? I didn't know that. I, it's just, it, uh, it's, one of the scenes in there just made me realize, that. yeah, I see that a lot. I mean, this is totally worth watching. It's just don't, it's not heat. No, no, no. <laughs> uh, and there's a few deleted scenes on here. There's like, I, I mean, honestly, there's like five minutes of, of bonus features. They didn't bother to put a lot here. And honestly, not a lot of this kind of snuck in and out of movie theaters. But it's one of those ones that you'll go years from now, I feel like when we're looking back at Hillcoat's directorial history, which he's already had some pretty good ones, you'll go, yeah, this is pretty good. Placeholder. Cool. Yeah, it's like, it's not where you go, oh, but then he did that, too. You're like, no, it was all right. Do you yeah. see what he was working towards? But you know, it kept his director's guild card active. It did. Uh, you did not get to see this next one, Hail Caesar. Yeah, thankfully. Uh, well, that's the thing. I love Hail Caesar. I'm glad. And a lot of people can't stand Hail Caesar. This is odd in that it's a film that scored a near-perfect rating from critics uh-huh, uh-huh. and a near, you know, almost F from audiences. <laughs> because this isn't made for general audiences. No, it doesn't. No. This is a movie where the Coen brothers go, you know what? I think we earned a vacation. <laughs> like, it's them going, we love film. We love period pieces. I mean, we love Channing Tatum. Well, everybody loves Channing Tatum. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and we just want to make a film for us. You know, and, and for our people who are like us, who like the same shit we do. And this is not a film designed to make money. <laughs> I mean, outside of having a great cast of people that some people get tricked into seeing it who are definitely not going to like it. But if you're like a hardcore early film aficionado, like 50s and 60s stuff, and especially if you like books like Hollywood Babylon and that mm-hmm, sort of thing, mm-hmm. then you're going to go, you're going to go fucking batshit. Our hail season, <laughs> which you know, I love that stuff, and I I really enjoyed this movie. But yeah, there's not much of a plot. I mean, it's kind of like the plot is like, hmm, the tone is more like Hudsucker Proxy. Okay, the plot is more like Big Lebowski, uh-huh. and those things don't necessarily mix together into an accessible film per se, unless you recognize all the references. That they're making because mm-hmm. this is so reference heavy. I'm like, oh, if you know about this thing that happened in Hollywood, you'll think this is hysterical. <laughs> the Black Dahlia murders. Anyway, uh, Josh Brolin plays the head of physical productions at Capitol Pictures, which basically just means he is the the the, the tough guy who comes in and goes. Everybody's a little scared of, but respects. He goes, nope, this is what we're doing. We're like. Everybody, anybody has any problem with that, I will punch you in the face. Uh, or if there's a celebrity who gets caught in a compromising position with, like, maybe a same-gender person or they're married and with someone else, mm-hmm. then he goes in and pays off the guy who took pictures or so like, like manipulates the story. He's a fixer, right? And uh, it's him basically being in a situation where everything goes wrong at the same time. Oh. There's just shit happening all over the place with his various stars. Um but the biggest of which is that George Clooney, who plays the best name ever, Bard Whitlock, who's like very Robert Taylor-ish type film star, very full of himself, but not all that great of an actor guy who's making mm-hmm. a film called Hail Caesar, gets abducted by a bunch of like 
movie terrorists, basically. <laughs> a bunch of guys who were script writers who work in the industry, like, we don't get enough respect, which is all an in joke in and of itself. Right, right. Uh, uh, who are like, yeah, we're, we're gonna, we're gonna abduct him and then we're not really sure what we're gonna do. But it's kind of like, we're gonna convince him to be w- w- sympathetic with our cause. But, you know, they're on a tight production schedule, this movie, it's gotta come out, he's gotta find him, yada, yada, yada. There's also a lot of other characters that are on miniature storylines. Alden Ehrenreich, who just got cast as young Han Solo, uh, plays a very, He's the cowboy singing star they've got at that point. They want to move him to something else, and he's just physically fucking incapable. They try to put him in a British comedy of manners directed by Ralph Fiennes, and can you imagine? It doesn't work at all. Uh, Jonah Hill is in this. Scarlett Johansson is the Esther Merman character, which means they put her in a bathing suit, which is all good. Frances McDormand, Tilda Swinton, Channing Tatum, who is the, even though he's not in this this much, is the star of this film, as far as I'm concerned. He's got only a few scenes, but every scene he's in, you laugh your fucking ass off. He's kind of a Gene, young Gene Kelly type character. Um, Alison Pill, Emily Beecham, Wayne Knight, Christopher Lambert, uh, yeah, uh, Clancy Brown. I mean, there's just a ton. Wait, wait, wait. Christopher Lambert and Clancy Brown in the I know, same fucking movie right? again? Well, they're going to only be one Hail Caesar. Uh, I guess so. I don't know. Thankfully. I, 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 if you don't like this movie, if you hate it, I go, okay. I can't blame you. I mean, it's it's not for everyone at all. It's actually very specifically a big middle finger to general audiences. <laughs> <laughs> you know, hey, man, if this isn't your thing, it's in your thing. But it's our thing, and we're the fucking Coen brothers, so suck it. <laughs> yeah, and you guys peaked with with the line, well, ain't that a goddamn geographic anomaly? Two weeks from everywhere. <laughs> uh, there's a few extra features on here, but not a hell of a lot, which is pretty normal for, for Coen Brothers stuff. It's really only about maybe 20, 22 minutes worth of, of little EPK-ish type stuff. But honestly, you're just here for the fun movie, which is either going to charm your socks off or it's not. Uh, next up is The Damned, Don't You Wish That We Were Dead, which is a documentary, historical, you know, history of the band The Damned, which was, in, I believe, is still recorded as the first punk band to release a single. Yeah, that's 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 the, uh, or to release, uh, I think, an EP. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. But they're the first people to press vinyl, basically. Right. Um, and uh, who are a British band who are have mutated to so many different sounds over the years. Um, but they were a band I really grew up with and mm-hmm. loved. I first discovered them when I was a goth with their goth album. Psycho yeah, Candy. exactly. And then someone's like, no, that album sucks. You got to go back and listen to the punk rock stuff, which, okay, admittedly is about a billion times better, <laughs> but they've been through so many changes mainly because these are all very strong personality people who just constantly get into vicious fights. Well, and- it's, I mean, it's indicative of the whole punk thing. Like punks are the biggest whiny babies <laughs> as far as <laughs> group cohesion go oh yeah no that's like the very nature of the attitude means it's almost impossible to keep a band together for yeah. very long um and the damned were like a perfect example of that which really <laughs> one of those bands that like would have been much bigger than they were if they could just have kept their yep. shit together <laughs> just know? fucking tell a party line figure out what that line is and then just do uh, it what are you supposed to sound like what is your brand they could not keep that going and it actually is a pretty fascinating story of mm-hmm. like a boat from like like mistakes not to make in the record industry <laughs> yeah. uh, and of just like these bands that touched brilliance 
but weren't able to hold on, mm-hmm. you know, uh, with lots of great interviews with everyone. Apparently, and I was just reading this, I did not see the first screening of this at South by. I saw like the second or third. And at the first one, uh, Captain Sensible, who's the lead guitarist and well known as sort of the, you know, the wild child of the band type yeah. of guy. Apparently, every time somebody came on that he hated, he was like, fuck you! <laughs> He's screaming at the screen. <laughs> Which is very in line with uh, Captain Sensible. It, it, it really is. Um, and there's a lot of stuff in this film that, like, if you know what was going on between the, these people after you've watched it, you understand in context of the film why some people are in it more than, have more to mm-hmm. say than others. Like, Dave Vanian, the lead singer, is very traditionally... A little quiet about things <laughs> like he like the rest of the band doesn't even really like i don't even really know that guy so maybe <laughs> he might actually be a vampire i don't know <laughs> well you know uh, we we see a fair amount of music documentaries or scene documentaries yeah. uh and i think they're usually pretty pointed towards if you're a fan of of this genre go watch it but i would say this is really interesting to watch because you get to see uh, just egos collide, and you do get to see how they they may not be the most famous in the world, but I guarantee somebody that you like was influenced by them. Oh yeah, and it's an. I feel like this one really holds together because it's a really interesting kind of cautionary tale mm-hmm. uh, from a musician's point of view, but it's also very like respectful of this band and what they accomplished and where they stood in time with some great music sequences on it. Yeah. Like really well produced, well directed. A lot of these things, even if they have good content, they're kind of a mess. This is actually pretty tight. I thought it, it's tight. And you get to see the, the, the two uh, schisms of the band just like for 20, 30 years, just slagging each other off. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's amazing that they ever managed to get back together at any point. Uh, also decent bonus features. Uh, Captain Sensible said guitarist, hung out with Fred Armisen from Saturday Night Live and Portlandia. And, from and, Punk and, fame. Uh, yeah. Well, actually, yeah. He actually mm-hmm. did have his own band, Trenchmouth, uh, that was pretty big for a little while. But it's the two of them basically geeking out over each other. and like, is awesome. Playing a song together and wandering around. Uh, there's a... A 12-minute The Anarchy Tour, which shows how basically the damned were kicked out of the Sex Pistols Anarchy in the UK tour in 76 and were completely mistreated by Malcolm McLaren, which I'm actually surprised they didn't include that in the film. Uh, There's also a a small piece about The Doomed, which was basically a side project when some of their members quit and they replaced them. They said, Uh, hey, how about fucking Lemmy? uh, Yeah, um, which actually led to... Rat Scabies, who uh, was the, uh, what was the drummer? I can't remember. Uh, who got into a fist fight in the middle of traffic with the new bassist. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then there's also a performance of Smash It Up during uh, Captain Sensible's 60th birthday party, which is pretty amazing. So uh, this is actually pretty solid. Yeah. Yeah, for music docs. And if you've never seen The Damned, this really puts front and center so you can hear some of their songs that are like so great and why people are like, yeah. wow, they're really good. Yeah, good stuff there. Um, I have very mixed feelings about the spoils before dying. Oh, I don't. <laughs> no? You have very specific feelings. Yeah. Well, go. Uh, the spoils before dying is funnier die. Uh, I think it released through like IFC or IFC, something. Yeah. Uh, and so... <laughs> kind of follow up to the spoils of Babylon. Yes. And, and so, you know, you've got Will Ferrell uh, being Will Ferrell as a gigantic fat man. Yes. Um, who... The, the weird thing about the funnier or die stuff is that you know that they are very tickled by what they do, mm. but it doesn't always transfer to general audience. Yeah. 
Uh, and I think this is definitely one of those things. Yeah. Like, I think the music was outstanding in it. Like, oh, yeah. The music was really great. But the, the jokes, they were like... A kid in class had just seen Airplane, mm-hmm. and he's he's telling you the gags. No, I, I tend to agree. <laughs> I mean... I mean, if you saw the spoils for Babylon, that was kind of a parody of like the Thornbirds mm-hmm. and that kind of miniseries. I don't know what this is a parody of. I think maybe of like '60s noir when they kind were trying of? to doing like beatnik noir. Yeah, you know, sort of. Like I'm really like who? Only people who even reference understand these references are people who got them by watching mystery science theatered versions yeah. of some of the worst parts <laughs> of films like this. Like it's not like it wasn't a huge genre. No. So I'm like the idea of like Michael K. Williams as like a rock banyan, a jazz pianist who ends up like being accused of a murder mm-hmm. of his ex girlfriend, um, uh, who appears Maya Rudolph, who keeps appearing as a ghost for some reason throughout this afterwards. Yeah, yeah, but a ghost who knows jack shit now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, who's totally useless, uh, and him traveling all over trying to figure out who actually killed her, and of course it ends up being much bigger than anyone could have imagined. Right. You know, I like the parts that were actually being straight better than the comedy yeah like like you said the music was actually pretty good there's a lot of cool jazzy sequences mm-hmm. and things that are trying to be psychedelic you're like oh that actually is kind of cool but then every time they're trying to be like yeah i'm wacky like we know you're wacky I did nothing stop being me. wacky yeah i don't really get it Kristen wig once again plays a huge role in this Haley joel osmont who is a decent actor who unfortunately grew up looking really goofy looking yeah <laughs> poor guy mike uh michael sheen is in this as well. Uh, Kate McKinnon, Tim Meadows, Chris Parnell, em- Emily Radigowski, who is just ridiculously hot, but has mm-hmm. a horrible last name. Uh, Peter Coyote. This should be better. It really should, but it's not. Yeah, and it's over two hours. Yeah, yeah. it was a long time for me to go, oh, I don't care for that too much. Yeah, it's not. I just, I, I, if they do another one of these, I ain't watching it. I'm like, I gave, I watched two of these fucking things, and I'm like, guys. It's, it's probably going to be the spoils before Voltron. <laughs> okay, I admit I'd kind of watch that. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, next up is the final season of Haven. I'm not going to say too much about this because, honestly, either you're a Haven fan and you probably already watched it, or you've never watched Haven, but you're waiting for it to end to see what everybody had to say about it and know whether or not it was worth going through all mm, six seasons. I really liked uh, Haven, but I kind of dropped off watching around mid-season three. Mm -hmm. So I decided, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do what any any proper critic should do. I'm just going to watch the last episode. (laughs) You know, there actually was was a uh, The Mythology before this extra feature on here which i wish every television show would know that would be great would like here's a little feature that sums up everything that happened before in mm-hmm. 10 minutes or something you're like why doesn't yeah <laughs> and you would sell so many more blu-rays if you did that yeah so, you really would uh but no that's uh, most things didn't but this is honestly i'm not even sure how much that would help no this, this no plot gets so convoluted <laughs> by the time it gets to the last season i mean at best if i was like I need you to watch this. The best thing I can come up with is, hey, William Shatner's in like the last six episodes. No, that's like, <laughs> I was like, oh, apparently questions that I had have been answered, but they don't really ultimately matter. And even the characters don't know what's going on. And look, a William Shatner and like, okay, let's do it. Let's just go. Yeah, when you, William Shatner as the primary villain through the whole history of the show. Mm-hmm. Like it turns, surprise, 
It was Shatner all along. It's like, well, duh. Who's never been in the show until they're always like, oh, you know, immediately it was him. So it's not like, spoiler, it was him uh, the whole time. <laughs> it wasn't it was like, just no, Shatner in the diner. Haven't actually seen Shatner before the point where we're like, duh, it's the villain called Croatoan for some reason. Mm-hmm. Um, who Throw is, in up. fact, the father of the main character yes. from the parallel dimension that they're both from, even though she doesn't remember him yeah. because she was cursed by some weird, but you know what? I'm not even going to try. Don't, There's don't, just don't too much. Worry about it. Honestly, explaining the X-Files is easier than trying to understand everything that happened. Yeah. That's it. what I noticed. I was like, Oh boy, they, they, they took that short story and really did a lot. Oh well, yeah. That. It was, uh, it was well pointed out that you will get more out of the, final season <laughs> if you go online and look for some interviews with the creators mm-hmm. who are like answered a bunch of shit that you're like why wasn't that in the actual fucking show <laughs> there's like all these things where you're like oh well now i understand that but why the fuck wasn't that in the show <laughs> like just like i don't get what just happened but um yeah i don't know i mean i enjoyed haven okay i thought it kind of a disappointing finale and william shatner like weirdly cast. Oh, extremely. But like, it, was, it was like, he needs the money, and you want the name. So. He's 80. What the fuck does he need the money for? <laughs> so he can wave his hands all weird. <laughs> uh, just odd. And there's a lot of little featurettes that are mainly EPK-ish. I mean, honestly, I enjoyed the show well enough, but I'm glad it's over. Oh, oh yeah. No, yeah. It, no it was getting uh, sci-fi stale. It, it had way run its course. Uh, so, moving on. Roots. Roots. Mm-hmm. Finally releasing it on Blu-ray. About time. Yeah. I, I had never actually seen it. Oh. No, I, I saw it as a kid. And it's pretty fucked up. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting how a lot of stuff that I didn't realize, like movements and culture, didn't realize really got, if not started, then significantly boosted by Roots and the fact that everybody in the fucking world watched it. Oh, yeah. That, I mean, that was a huge thing. It was like... Uh... The whole shed Some, your well, shed your slave name and take your African name thing was like yeah. This. Well, I mean, I just just that that something that Afrocentric could play to all audiences. Startling. I don't yeah. think ABC had any idea nope. that they were sitting on like like fire well, the way they were. They didn't know that they they had a talented uh, starship engineer on board. No, well, they, they didn't, didn't the whole time. Uh, yeah, this was Levar Burton's, uh, it, you know, and introducing Levar yep. Burton as Kunta Kinte, or at least. Young Kunta Kinte yeah. in the first two episodes, uh, who is great. Mm-hmm. I've never seen Jordy Laforjack like that before. <laughs> well, it's because you haven't watched a lot of Reading Rainbow. <laughs> oh, fair enough. Um, but yeah, he really is good. It's funny. I heard an interview with Patrick Stewart. He's like, it was so weird during Next Generation because I do all these things in England where I'm on stage a lot. And people are like, oh, it's Patrick Stewart. He's, he's very well, but he do this American thing. And nobody knows who I am at all. And they're like, oh, Star Trek Next Generation, it's got that big star. And you're like, uh-huh. And they're like, <laughs> <laughs> they're like that guy from Roots. They're like, what? <laughs> uh, but Roots really is good. It's just dated. Mm-hmm. You know, watching it now, it has a lot of TV, you know, things. Conventions. Conventions about it that yep. are there. It's filled with some pretty good performances, some pretty great performances, and some just okay performances. Yeah, yeah. I mean, everybody in television at this point was in this fucking thing, mm-hmm. including, like, Papa Walton yeah. <laughs> as, like, an evil slave, like like a driver. Which makes sense. Yeah, I'm like, okay. And Ed Asner, and just like this, just like all these people like, ah, oh, it's the guy from that show. You do that a lot when you're watching Roots. <laughs> oh, that'd be great if Abe Vigoda showed up. 
Uh, maybe he does. I don't even know. Um, I actually didn't have time to watch the last episode or two of this yet, but but I will. But yeah, I mean, I like they're, the reason this is getting re-released is because they're making a remake that's mm-hmm. literally just aired the first episode, and I'm like, eh, I'd rather just watch the original. Yeah. Um, I did find it interesting when I started telling people I was watching this. I was like, oh, you know, it's fuck turned out like this guy made up. 90% of this thing and he claimed it was totally a true story he's like no so he, Alex Haley yeah he totally made up so much and not only made up a lot but then turned out he had just plagiarized this other guy's book like whole paragraphs oh, and stuff from it that he settled in a lawsuit so Alex Haley not the nicest guy in the world <laughs> well um, but that didn't change the fact that this turned into obviously a, a, a cultural gen- movement a cultural movement and the Blu-ray of course is packed with a whole bunch of new featurettes uh, including a look with uh, the um, uh, a bunch of people like Whoopi Goldberg and James Earl Jones, Blair Underwood, Debbie Allen, Tavis Smiley, Shonda Rhimes, and Al Sharpton talking about how Roots actually affected them when it came out. The new look, cast looks back featurette with uh, the original cast members, LeVar Burton, and then John Amos, who was the older Kunta mm-hmm. Kinte. It's another actor. It's like, hey, I know that guy from that show. I remember when you died. <laughs> Louis Gossett Jr., Ben Vereen, Cicely Tyson, Ed Asner, Sandy Duncan, George Sanford Brown, and Lynn Moody talking about the history of it. And then a bunch of featurettes from the previous DVD set. But mm-hmm. hey, man, this is like one of those things. Like, you, you kind of have to watch it at some point. Yeah, it's not like North and South. It's You should actually watch yeah, it. You should actually watch it. It was like, <laughs> it was a massive, like, cultural milestone. Mm-hmm. And it actually is pretty solid. So, yeah, and it looks great, this new Blu-ray fix-up. All right, so I was just going to go from here to TV to the end, but okay. I had right, to, right. before our giveaway, throw in a movie because it kind of was, like, balanced what our actual giveaway is. That movie is called Kill Your Friends. Okay. Uh, now, as opposed to our actual giveaway, which I thought was amazing... I fucking hated Kill Your Friends. <laughs> like, despised it. And it sucks because this is like Nicholas Holt, who I think is pretty damn good, mm-hmm. uh, playing this record executive in like late 90s Oasis time, you know? Okay. Uh, in England, who, uh, he's an A&R guy, uh, uh, who they're like, we gotta figure out what the next big thing is. And he wants the job up ab- above him, the next step up, which is actually at that time being done by uh, his friend, James Corden, who's a mess. He's like this, you know, he's a coke addict of the pathetic, shaky kind, not the woo kind. <laughs> Let's get shit done. Yeah, Nicholas Holt is the woo kind. He's the, I can't remember what I did with my glasses. <laughs> uh, and basically he's like, when he finds out like that job, like the, this step up to this next level is going to be taken now by his friend and he's not going to get the position he wanted. He freaks out and just kills him. Just okay. strangles him to death and leaves. And, like, everyone just like, well, why would this rich, white, yuppie guy kill another guy? As no, that never happens. <laughs> so, like, you know, nobody's even looking at him. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's – the rest of the movie is him trying to sign bands and doing a terrible fucking job of it and getting more and more pissed off and honestly doesn't have one redeeming quality to him. Well, this sounds lovely. Well, they're kind of going with a, a little bit of a um, – American Psycho vibe. It's like okay. American Psycho means train spotting, but without the charm of either. Charm of either. Yeah. Like, I mean, that's the biggest problem. This guy is written as you've got to have something, some glimmer of something that makes you go at least laugh. You know, like like a Christian Bale's performance in American Psycho. That guy is just irredeemable. But 
his performance is so yeah, great he's wacky. that you're like, I just had so much fun watching it. Nicholas Holt doesn't really carry that here at all. He doesn't have bring it to that level. Mm. And the character is written just, like I said, he's unremarkable. He's not very interesting. He, and there's, there's nothing, not a single positive quality to him. I just wanted him to die throughout this film. Um, and it's directed by Owen Harris, who did uh, the Black Mirror episode, Be Right Back, with Haley Atwell and Donald Gleason, which was really good. Uh, but, eh, Kill Your Friends, not a great look at, you know, the grit and grime of the record industry. The grit, grime, and crime. Which uh, seems like it would write itself, but not in this case. I mean, it looks, the trailer to this was fucking great, but not such a good movie. But that does bring us to our giveaway. Here, take it. Which is something I fucking love to pieces, which is HBO's first season of Vinyl, mm-hmm. a television series brought to you by Mick Jagger and Martin Scorsese. Oh, boy. Um, about the 70s and the music industry. Okay. So move from 1997 or so to 1972 or so, mm-hmm. which is what this mm-hmm. story is. Give it much better people associated with it. <laughs> you know, you've got Nicholas Holt in that one, and uh, here you have Bobby Cannavale, mm-hmm. you know, who is like, I like Nicholas Holt, but come on, Bobby Cannavale. Hey, it's <laughs> Bobby. Uh, and this is kind of, it's like Mad Men if it was directed and written by Martin Scorsese. Okay. And set in the music industry in the 70s. Right. Because right. it has that same sort of loose enough that there's not. The plot is clearly not the most important thing, the mm-hmm. way Mad Men was. It was like, yeah, this is more about small movements of characters that you really are interested in, who who are already kind of up Shit's Creek in a lot of ways, <laughs> and who are gradually digging themselves in deeper and just drenched in the periodness of the time. And in this case, just drenched in, like a lot of money that had to go pay musicians and labels for the rights to their music. Cause every episode's got like 10 really famous big songs. Oh, wow. Um, just so covered in like, I, I, I don't even know how to say it. I, I mean, this was obviously it wasn't for everybody. The critic reviews went from glowing like mine to, eh, it was okay. But, um, <laughs> I, yeah, I think partially it comes to being really into this music scene at this time. Mm-hmm. It's kind of about like when the industry didn't know was what's next. What do we do now? And Should we try disco? I don't know. Yeah, it's about the beginning of disco is just starting to creep in. Punk rock is like basically post punk has it all, or not post punk. Uh, Proto punk has already sort of happened and gelled with bands like the Velvet Underground mm-hmm. and Iggy and the Stooges and the New York Dolls. MC Five. Uh, MC Five like- has already happened. But now it's like people are like, well, what's happening? And kind of this this fictional band in here called the Nasty Bits, which, you know, they're presupposing, about two years too early, but presupposing is going to become the first real punk band. Okay. Uh, led here by Mick Jagger's son, playing the, playing the role of the lead singer of this band. Um Like, they're developing that. And at the same time, like, disco is developing by DJs. You know, which is how it started. Like mm-hmm. clubs who would have DJs who were mixing records and they started like discovering these albums that no one was listening to, like little dance, dancey things, dancey electronica things. And suddenly that took off because of dance clubs and DJs. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, all that stuff plus a lot of actors playing big roles. The guy that got to play David Bowie was like, holy shit, that is dead on. <laughs> uh, as well as the guy who played Alice Cooper. He has a really funny sequence and here. Great cast, ensemble cast with a whole bunch of people in it who play off each other really well. And Bobby Cannavale, I mean, at its worst, 
I was surprised a show would go this early to a guy hitting the rockest of rock bottoms. Mm-hmm. I mean, he like, you know, he starts off like when it starts, he's he's got his own spinoff agency uh, uh, that, that he started after another guy gave him a shot when he was just a bartender, you know, because mm-hmm. this okay. flashes back and forth from like 10 years earlier to now. Uh, he's married to like this incredible hot woman, Olivia Wilde, and has two kids. Oh, and, I've uh, heard of her. Their marriage. Yeah. You, you've seen her in a lot of stuff. She was in, uh, in Tron Legacy. She was like, oh yeah, that was, that was the best thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She was the best thing about it. That and the Daft Punk soundtrack. Um, and their, their marriage is tense, but, they're both determined to make it work, uh, mainly because he's not there. But then he starts falling off the wagon and turns into like – I mean, this guy goes from zero to a billion with Coke. It's like, <laughs> no, 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 I don't really touch that. Okay, maybe we'll have it this one. Uh, and like an hour later, he's like <laughs> – He's like the Tasmanian devil, you know? It's like, I'm going to ruin my life. <laughs> I don't need a nose. <laughs> um, and you're like, wow, he's going to hit rock bottom in like episode three, huh? Okay. That's cool. <laughs> um, Love a redemption story. But yeah, I mean, like, I, the performances are also great in here. The cinematography is so great. And like, I feel like the thing, element that was missing for a lot of people was like, you're, they were, went into this expecting Goodfellas. And what it really is, is more like Mad Men, mm. you know, just with Goodfellas elements. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, highly recommend vinyl. And it is our giveaway. Yeah, it's true. So how can they win this giveaway, Joe? Well, Chris, what they're going to do is they're going to call 555-8092. Call now and you can rid a jade elephant pendant. No, uh, let's hear your best shitty uh, punk band name. Ooh, that's a good one. Yep. So uh, our Twitter is at one of us net. So basically you're going to want to write at one of us net your best, then write your best shitty band name and hashtag vinyl giveaway. And you have a chance to win the first season of HBO's vinyl on Blu-ray. That's a pretty solid giveaway. That's right. You guys can be ground floor people. So get to it. Right off to at the beginning. Uh, yeah. So that brings us to the end of the episode. Yeah, there we go. I we we thank, need it here again. I want to thank my co-host Joe for. Yeah, for, I'll take all those things. Uh, there you go. He deserves. <laughs> he does everything. Honestly, I really am. I'm, I'm like the backbone of America. I, I haven't even watched these. He puts up teleprompter things for me. Yeah, I just read off of them. Yeah, no. Back in the '80s, uh, Reagan's first draft was not morning in America. It was like, hey, morning. How's Joe doing? <laughs> <laughs> You're kind of like a they live story, but instead of it like being like aliens trying to take over, it's just no one can know that everyone thinks I'm the coolest. Right, exactly. <laughs> then the, the economy would fall apart. It's, it's the whole thing. So right. Understood. I'll just tell that one. Well, I guess goodbye. I guess. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>